Yes, the world will bow down and say you are God. Every man will bow down and say you are King. So let's start right now. Why would just want to be with you. I just want to be with you. King of glory, fill this place. We just want to be with you. We just want to be Yes, the world will bow down and say you are God. Every
And what I saw was there was a God who was waiting to pour out every blessing right there 18 years ago. But there was this huge man of God. And as I began to pray, you know, this morning, I started to see all of the things that God wanted me to change in my heart. And I said, Lord, I remember where you brought me from, you know. I haven't forgotten, you know, who I was, you know. And I felt like the Lord just, just spoke to me so clearly, you know. The difficulty is not on my part in the things that need to change. You know, what you were speaking last week, you know, it's supposed to be this hard. But he gives grace to the humble. And I just said, God, I want to humble myself. I want to tell you, Lord, that I know what you can do. And I know that all the struggles, the high prices, you've already paid. The high price on my part is a humble and I just, I don't know, I felt such a faith rise up in my heart this morning. God, I can do this. I can humble myself and apprehend your grace. You know? And I can see, it took me 15 years to humble myself enough to apprehend that first kernel of blessing that God had. And it doesn't have to take that long. I remember praying for healing. I said, God, if there was some way. I could pray for somebody and they didn't know maybe you would heal them, you know. Because I could feel the obstacle that I couldn't get past. And it was just falling into place like pieces of a puzzle. The obstacle is your pride. You know, and I just felt that this morning. God, what doors of power, what gifts of the Spirit, what, what incredible moves of God could happen in our midst. It's just the obstacle of our own pride, you know. And I just, oh God, I want to humble myself and tell you, Lord, I see your goodness. I see it. I believe you. Thank God. Thank you. You know, I was sitting there, I think in a similar vein, Simeon, as they were singing, it really struck me afresh how blessed it is to receive from people whose offering is not leavened with pride or with vanity. And I was, I know I was looking behind those singers, but I was just thanking God that there was nothing but transparent sincerity in their offering. And I think of how many, how many powerful gifts and how many meaningful insights or Helpful contributions are really being offered, but that little leaven of the flesh that says, I'm going to get a little glory out of this, and how it just dilutes and dissipates the glory of God. But I felt the exact opposite here, that God, we, we can, we can make not a perfect offering, but a pure offering. Amen. And we can never give him enough. We can, never, we can never be proud of ourselves for what we've given, but we can give humbly. Amen. And therefore, we can give sincerely. And there's just something, there's so much grace 
Not only in offering that yourself, but in being with others who are offering that and feeling like, yeah, we're in this together. We're all as dead as dead can be, but he's alive and he's worthy of everything. No filters, no masks, no makeup, no jewelry, just the unadulterated gratitude of a bunch of lost people who've been found. And I I don't mean in the literal sense, I mean in the spiritual sense, nothing between, you know. And when you were speaking just now, Simeon, I thought about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and how it's in many ways analogous or a continuation to what happened at the Mount of Temptation. And on the Mount of Temptation... It seems that the enemy is aware of his power, aware of Christ's abilities. And it seems that he swoops in to entice the Lord to use his gifts for his own selfish needs, for his own self. And he, he wants the Lord to feel born up. You know, he will bear you up, though you, he will not let you... Strike your foot against a stone. And that's an assurance need. And he wants him to turn the rocks into bread. And that's a hunger need. But he perceives these needs in his humanity. And he says, use your gifts for yourself. And the Lord is unwilling to do it. And then we fast forward to the Garden of Gethsemane. And we see that the Lord is feeling cornered or ushered, narrowed, we'll say, toward this ultimate um, showdown. Amen. And, and he expresses this narrowing when he says, I came to cast a fire upon the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled, but how constrained or distressed, but it, it literally is narrowed, I am until it be accomplished. We see it in John when it says, and he became exceedingly sorrowful unto death. Amen. And he begins to ask them if they can drink the cup. We see it in the, in the Last Supper. You can feel that he's moving toward this moment. And that's the moment that we were speaking of last week, or whenever that was. I think it was last week. It all kind of runs together. Um, But you sense that God is is narrowing me. God is pushing me towards some moment, some, some ultimate pivot. And that's a scary thing. Whenever that's happening, that's a scary thing because we sense that we have stepped into currents outside our control. Amen. But when he got to the garden... He's not panicking. He, he's praying and he's focusing. And he makes that statement. He says that he could call 12 legions of angels. I think that's about 12 times 680 or something like that. So it's a few. <laughs> he has 12 legions of angels at his disposal. And he could have just shrewdly 
avoided this. He could have avoided the garden. He could have, he could have avoided the betrayal. He says to Judas instead, what you're going to do, do quickly. Let's get on with this thing. If we're going to have to go through it, let's just get on with it. And then he's there and he doesn't use his power again for, his, for himself. He doesn't rescue himself and with those 12 legions of angels. And again on the cross, there he's told, physician, heal yourself. Right? But again, he doesn't use his power for himself. His power is limitless when turned out. To love, to help, to heal, to raise from the dead, to save. But his power is extremely limited when turned in. And I just think of how easy it is for us to use our gifts to save ourselves from our salvation. Amen. Use our gifts to rationalize or talk our way or reason our way out of God's will. But that's the one sphere where Jesus really let, let it, trusted passively in God and did not deploy the heat-seeking missiles of His gifts against the sacrifice that God was calling Him to make though he was sinless, though he was without fault. And I feel like the Lord showed me, I think it was last year, but it was a while back, and you just hit on it, and, I, I, and that's why I'm even saying this, but I feel like God's release of supernatural power in the church is going to be directly proportionate to that constraint that we can come under. I believe that he could trust Jesus with 12 legions because Jesus had so come under the constraint of a giving love and a not, not a self-seeking love. When God puts gifts at someone's disposal, when God puts power at someone's disposal, what are they going to do with it? You know, he says, don't seek to be many teachers or else you'll be held to a stricter judgment. What are they going to do with it? How are they going to use it? It's a powerful thing. It's a scary thing. It should put the fear of God in all of us. When God gives us something and we begin to use it, we say, Lord, is this for me or is this for you? I suppose even the question needs to keep coming in order to keep us aligned with the truth. But I believe that there is going to come a level of love that is only possible through a level of humility. And when we reach this level of turned outness, of love for others through humility, I believe that's when we're going to find that we have more power at our disposal. And that's an enticement to me. <laughs> Not for my own vainglory, but it was really the same prayer you were praying. Lord, if I did this, if I prayed for this person and they didn't know I was praying, would you heal them? You know? And I think that's at least getting close to the right mindset. Lord, what would you do if I could really divorce 
this activity from how it affects me or blesses me or returns to me. What would you do, God? Amen. If I could be hidden in Christ where they couldn't see me, find me, and there's an incredible blessing in that. It can be scary if you're the person that is hiding others, you might should be concerned. But if you're the person hidden, you're blessed. Give honor to whom honor is due. If, if, you're, if you're careful to, to not do that, you're careful to take as much as you can or imply as much as you can and obscure you know, the honor of, of God or even of others, that's a scary place to be. That's not a great place to be. But if you're the recipient of that, that's a safe place to be. Lord, I do want to be hidden. <laughs> Amen. And Lord, if we would be hidden, what kind of power would you release? You know, it doesn't mean that we're supposed to be miserable. Misery is not God's object. We don't equate what I'm saying to mean that I'm not in God's will unless I'm miserable. That isn't at all what I'm saying. It's just I'm not in God's will unless He is stealing all the glory. Amen. Even though it's not a theft, it's right, rightfully His. But you know how the flesh sometimes thinks it's a theft? God doesn't want you to be miserable. In His presence there is fullness of joy. And at His right hand are pleasures forevermore. God wants you to be happy. That's not his first purpose. <laughs> Count it all joy, my brethren. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Jesus rejoiced greatly when he saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. That's not his prime purpose, but it's a great dividend to the prime purpose that he's called us to. He doesn't want us to be unhappy. He asks Cain, why are you downcast? That's not status quo for God. Something's wrong when that happens. So I'm not saying unless I'm unhappy, I'm not in God's will. There is a joy. I have learned the secret of being content, Paul said, in, with much and with little, with abundance and with sparsity. Amen. There's a secret there. There's a joy there. Thank you, Lord. And we can... We can move into that. We can grow into that. But let's just tarry and ask God for a second. Lord, what, what does it mean to get lower? What does it mean for me to decrease that he might increase? What does this look like, God? Can I put you to the test? Can I, can I take the risk of becoming smaller that he might be greater still? Thank you, Jesus. I know I've shared this with a number of you and some of you more than once. Uh, probably nobody's heard it more than, except for my family, than Brother Dylan. But that's okay. Let's see. Whose face can I, I focus on here to feel comfort? <laughs> oh, all of you. <laughs> that, that makes it easy. <laughs> And that's a big old hint of, of what I, I want to share, really. And a number of years ago, Brother Adolfo came to me and asked me some questions. What it boiled down to was uh, we, we got to talking about the lowering of our ego. And I had experienced that 
and there's a resurgence today uh, with psychedelic drugs, and, and they found out that they, they thought that they did tests on these people that uh, they, they'd give them doses, and they thought their brains would light up, but actually they, they quietened down, and, and they found out that these drugs lower your ego. And, and you, re- you remember that, that lady that, that came to me that time when I was first coming to God, and, and she said, I have a word for you, and, and I, was, I don't know what she's talking about. She's got a word, but everybody that's sitting with me at the table got excited and told me, she's got a word from God for you. I mean, my faith went, I wanted to hear that. And, and after we got through eating, we went outside and, and she said to me, she, she said, you're still doing drugs, aren't you? Said, yes. And she said, well, God wants you to know that you don't need them anymore. And he's going to be that and more for you. And it'll be a testimony for you for the rest of your life. And, and I got the that part. <laughs> the that part was the feeling of connectedness and peace. And, I mean, from the beginning of this meeting, the songs we sang, that Brother Cash, Brother Simeon, what Brother Ossie just shared, everything is speaking to this. And, and uh, the feeling of lowering your ego, it's, it's wonderful. Now, I'll tell you up front, uh, there's some real problems with the way that I was going about feeling these feelings, and not the least of which it's a counterfeit, right? But there's more to it than that. It it goes away and, and there's, you, you keep grasping for meaning and purpose in it and there is none. And, and, and that's, I felt like if you picture, and this is why I said all this basically, if you picture a, a baby laying naked, you just lay him naked on the floor or on a table, he's, he's, he's grasping. He's, you want to feel, <laughs> you want to feel held. You, you, he wants to feel comforted. He, even Jesus had swaddling clothes, right? And that's what was lacking. And it's the form. And, and without form, there's no meaning and there's no purpose. And it, it just leaves you empty. And, uh, and so that's what God was saying. I'm going to be that. And, and I didn't get the more part until much later after coming here. And, and I started to find out what the more is. It's, it's the form. It's God's form. It's, it's the form and the design and the order of the body of Christ. And, and then... Uh, just a few months ago, I felt like God was really impressing upon me the scripture in Philippians about being anxious for nothing. And I know we've heard it in here many times since then. And be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Make your request known to God, and then the, the peace of God will guard you. And, you know, we, we've also heard, and it's true, that you, you can't be anxious and thankful at the same time. And I look back over my life and, and I, I saw that every time, most every time at least, that I found myself in, in hot water, in trouble, it's because I got anxious about something. And I stepped outside of thankfulness and faith. When, when God spoke to me that, that, that week, the, the, the very next Sunday, Brother Ossie got up here and shared about expanding our perspective. And he also talked in that meeting about eating disorders and I thought there's there's really something to this there's a key that to this I went home and I, I I really wanted to dig into it and find out what is God speaking in this and and I thought about something that that uh, I, I knew I had notes on it from from years ago and I knew it was connected to a scripture 
And the, the scripture was, you know the story of the disciples going across the Sea of Galilee and, and a big storm comes up and, and of all things, Jesus is asleep, laying on a pillow in the boat. And, and you know what happened? They, they got anxious. And they, they shake him awake. And in Luke, it says, you know, they, what do they say to him? I mean, it's, it seems unbelievable. Don't you care that we're perishing? I mean, really? I mean, Jesus is in the boat with them. It was a test, wasn't it? But I, I think we do the same thing every time we get anxious. We're saying, God, don't you care? Every time that we feel terror and we get anxious and, and we slip out of faith and, and lose our thankfulness, we, we get anxious. And, God, don't you care? How terrible that is. And, you know, Jesus gets up and he calms the storm and then he rebukes his disciples. And in Luke it says that he, he says, why are you so fearful? Have you no faith? And th that word fearful is only used one other time, I believe, in Revelation 21 for cowardly. He called them cowards. He said, you're, you're being a coward. You're losing your faith and being cowards. And I got to thinking about that. And, and, I, and from that scripture, I, I found some notes that I had written. And it was all about vulnerability. And, and I started looking at it and... And the opposite of being a coward would be courage, right? And then, what is it, love that works, I think? Uh, Brother Blair has a, a subtitle in there called The Courage to be Vulnerable, I think it is. And, you know, I, I think most of us probably realize that, that courage comes from the Latin word core that means heart, right? But if you look further it, it literally means, courage literally means to tell the story of your life with all your heart. And I don't mean just to speak it. I mean to live a wholehearted life. To, the, to have the courage to just be vulnerable. Amen? And I get to thinking about that. And, and, you know, some people find it excruciatingly painful to be vulnerable. And... That song that, that you sang, he turns shame into glory. It's the first time I ever, that, that line of that song ever really stuck out to me. But this is how he turns shame into glory. But some people are, are so, so struck by the shame that they, they, they find it very, very difficult to be vulnerable. And, and yet some people, it seems like they just seem to walk right into it simply because it's necessary, Right? And if you think about it, it's absolutely necessary. You think about the gospel and repentance and baptism and, and the infilling of the Holy Spirit, you've got to become vulnerable for all of it, right? You think about the people that come up here and to be baptized, they're, they're sharing the story of their life with all their heart. That enables them to get baptized. You think of receiving the Spirit, becoming vulnerable, surrendering everything. It, and uh, we, we shared this in, in India, and it, it's, it's like we, we start off with, uh, here's what we have. We have the kingdom of God, and, and, and here's why, because it's the pearl of great price. And, and once you get the why, the how becomes okay. It becomes possible, right? And the how is repentance and baptism and then filling the Spirit. But here's the, the posture or the attitude that's required for you to enter into it. And it's this 
lowering of the ego or, or being vulnerable. And, and all of these terms are essentially the same with little nuances of differences, but the lowering of the ego, the being vulnerable or, or humbling yourself or coming to God as a little child. You know, because I think in part he says that because, you know, a little child below the age of five, year old, five years old, they have no ego. And ego doesn't start to even form until you're around five years old. And your, your ego is really the story of who you are. It makes you, you, and me, me. It separates us. You know, a, a little child doesn't have that. It, an ego is made up of, of our past experience and, and, and present sensory input and future goals, and that's, that's who we are. And my ego makes me, me, and, and you, you. And I got to thinking about that. And why is it that some people find it so difficult to be vulnerable and lower their ego and some people seem to walk right into it. And, and before I, I give the, the answer to that, I, I'll tell you a little story. Uh, there was a family that came to our house one, one evening before a, a, a musical that we had and, and we shared some things at the table and they had a, it was a, uh, they had a son with them. Uh, his name was Ty, he was 15 years old, and he was listening so intently to everything that was being shared at our table. And then we come to the musical, the musical's over, we go outside for snacks, and somebody came out to me and said, that young man that, that came with y'all, he's in the sanctuary still, laying down between two rows of seats, crying, and he won't get up. And I said, oh. So I, I walk back in there, and, and there he is laying down, I, I come up in the row of seats in front of him, and his mother's trying to console him, and, and she says... She's saying to him, Ty, is the devil telling you you're not worthy? Yes, ma'am. And he's crying. He's really crying. And, and she says, well, you tell him that, that you are worthy. You know, you just tell him you are worthy. And, and I, I waited a little bit, and he didn't know I was there. And I, I said, Ty, it, it's Randy. I said, would you sit up and, and look at me? And he did. He just sat up, and he's still crying. And I said, is it true what your mama said that, the devil tells you you're not worthy? Yes, sir. And I said, well, I'm going to tell you something a little different. And I said, you're, you're not worthy. But neither am I. And neither are any of us. But that's why Jesus came. You know, we sing that song and, and, and then Jesus came and he took the blame and changed everything. We're not worthy, but he was found to be worthy. Amen. And look what all he did for us. And he did it because he loved us, right? While we were still sinners, he died for us. While we were yet without strength, he loved us that much, right? The difference between the two groups of people is one group of people are convinced, like Paul was, persuaded, not almost persuaded, but completely persuaded of the love of God and nothing can separate us from the love of God, not life or death or any such thing, of the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Christ Jesus, nothing can separate us. Amen? They're convinced of that, and they're also convinced that we got a place, that we belong. And you think about the, there towards the end of John chapter 13, the Gospel of John, and, and Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm going away. And where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but afterwards you shall. And the word cannot there is not saying I'm not going to let you. It's like the word antidunamis, right? He's saying you don't have the strength. 
you don't have the power in you to go where I'm going. And a lot of times I share that with people and I'll ask them, where was he going? And some people give me the answer, he was going to the cross. But he wasn't. He told us where he was going. He was going to his father's house. He had to go through the cross to get there, but that wasn't the goal. The cross, the cross was something that he had to bear, despising the shame for the joy set before him. And, you know, the disciples, they go, oh, no, Lord, we'll, we'll die with you. We'll go all the way. And, and then he exposes their heart. No, and Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And what does he say right after that? But let not your heart be troubled. I'm doing something for you. <laughs> I go to my father's house to prepare a place for you. Man, we belong. <laughs> We've got a place in the body of Christ. In this pearl of great price in the kingdom of God, every one of us have a place. You can't ever say legitimately, again, I just don't belong. <laughs> you do. Look at what Jesus did, what, what price he paid for us to have a place in this kingdom. And if, you're if you can be persuaded of that, completely persuaded of the love of God and that you belong, it's easier to be vulnerable because you, you see all these faces out here and they, you, you feel the love and this is, my, this is family. I belong in this family. I can be vulnerable. And, and the ironic thing about vulnerability is what keeps people from being vulnerable is the fear of being disconnected. Well, if they knew this about me, they would, they would or I'm too blank, just fill in the blank, or I'm not blank enough, fill in the blank. <laughs> But that's exactly the opposite, right? The devil lies to us. And I was telling Ossie this, and I said, you know, even science bears it out. We were hardwired to connect. God created us connected. And at the fall, that connection was broken. And Ossie said, you know, where, where it says there that God sent them out of the garden, the word sent is the word divorce. The connection was broken, and our whole salvation is dependent on reconnecting with life, right? And I thought about the, that scripture. It talks about the body of Christ in, in Ephesians 4 and the fivefold ministry and what it's all for, and, and it comes to the end of that, and then Paul says, I say all this, therefore, that you would be no longer as the rest of the Gentiles, and then he starts saying, this is what they are. This is what it's like. They're... The futility of their minds. And it says other things, you know, the, the darkness of their understanding, the hardness of their heart, alienated from life, disconnected. And then it says, who being past feeling, gave themselves over to all kinds of disorder. And now it's, it's coming together for me, what Ossie was sharing in that meeting about expanding our perspective and these disorders, any kind of disorder is we, we use those disorders to numb vulnerability. And it, it shortens it. it. It limits our perspective of things. But the problem with it is we can't selectively numb emotions. When we numb shame and, and the negative things, we also numb the positive ones, peace and love and joy. And so we get narrower and narrower until we become to the place where we're past feeling, alienated 
from God and his people and, and everything. And so, you think, God, help me, Lord, to know your love and the place that you have for me and to lower my ego and to be vulnerable. And, and you know how good that is, right? That, that is good. And it's, but it's, it's just like, you know, the, the devil twists it around. And, and, and if, if you say the word vulnerable to people out in the world, what's the, what's the word that they think of most? Weakness, right? It's weakness. And, and you probably thought the same thing too. If you felt something and, and you wanted to share something, oh no, that would, that would be weakness. But then if you see somebody else doing it, you think, boy, that, that took a lot of courage. And it helps people. When we become vulnerable, it helps people because it softens our heart and, and it gives you this care for people. Amen? And so I saw all of that and it's wonderful. Okay. And so for some time now, I, every time I go into a place or get up like this, I'm like, oh God, help me to lower my ego. <laughs> help me to lower my ego so I can feel this connection with you and God's people. And it's good. And I also, I also pray, God, help me to have right feelings. Help me to feel right. And, and I've talked to my family a lot about this. Wouldn't it be something? You know, Jesus always had right feelings. Not just right words and actions, but he always had right feelings about everything. Wouldn't it be something if we could have right feelings? Oh, God, give me right feelings. <laughs> but then I... This is the last thing I want to share. I saw something else. And it has to do with, I'm going to be that and more. All right? The that is the content. It's the love and the joy and the peace and all these wonderful feelings that you feel when you lower your ego and you become humble and you come as a little child. But then I saw something. I'm going to say something just a little bit technical here, but it's not too bad. It won't take me long. There's systems in our brain. And what keeps chaos at bay within our minds is that those systems in our minds are not created equal. And that's important to think about. You think about the world and what it tries to do, and it tries to flatten everything out. Sameness. But if that's what you have, it's going to be chaos. If everything is the same and there's, there's no order, then there's no honor. And nothing is precious to you. And you don't know what to do. And that's the baby. Remember the baby? Where is something to hold me? Where is the comforter? And then there's this, scientists call it, this, this part of our brain and it's where our ego is. It's called the default mode network. And the default mode network is where we make up the story of who we are. It's where our ego lies. But the default mode network orders these systems in our brain that are so complex that if it didn't do that, we would all descend into the anarchy of mental illness. And so I was perplexed. Is lowering the ego good or... Do we need it? But if you, if you continue on there in, in John, the Gospel of John, where he said, I, I'm going away and where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but afterwards you shall. 
And then from chapter 14 to the end of chapter 16, he tells us what he's doing for us. What he's doing to enable us to go to where he was going, his father's house. And then in chapter 17, he begins to pray for the very thing that he said that we can't do. He says, Father, may they be with me where I am. And so he tells us and then he prays for us that we would be with him where he is. And if you look at that chapter, 36 times Jesus uses the word. And in the Greek, it's the same word as English. It's spelled the same. I think it's pronounced ego. He uses the word ego 36 times in chapter 17 when he's praying for us. And 33 of those times it's translated I, me, or my, which is what ego is. I'll stop right there on that. And then I, I felt like God spoke to me. That's, that's it. You can't be vulnerable and, and lower your ego in the world. There's nothing to come into. And you think about what we share, Cash and, and Dylan, whenever we go, we, we share this, this word of God, come out of her, my people. Right? Come out of the confusion, the Babylon. But we also tell them we would be doing you a disservice by even telling you that if we didn't feel like we had something for you to come into. We've got something for you to come into. It's, it's the kingdom of God. A place where you belong. And so I got it. We can lose our own eye, our own ego, because of a greater eye. It's called the great I am. <laughs> We can step right into it. That, that's what it means to trust. We can trust God and we're not going to lose our mind <laughs> by dropping our ego. We're not going to be left without form, without meaning and purpose. We're going to step right into the great I am. We drop our own walls that separate us, that protect us, but separate us from God and life and, and his people but we step into a greater wall, the walls of salvation. And there's all the content and the form. And we're protected from all the things of the evil one. God. <laughs> we can be vulnerable then, right? There's no excuse. There's no fear. There's no fear.